anyway, I have been thinking about and praying about what to get into in the next study. And uh, I've done a lot on trusting God and coronavirus, Christ and the coronavirus crisis we did. And then another one on, uh, on uh, overcoming, triumphing over sinful fear and things like that. And I thought, that's a whole lot of COVID and, and, uh, and coronavirus and, and, and fear and and worried about what we're going to get through and how we can trust the Lord to get through that. And I said, you know what, I just want to go someplace completely different. And uh, I picked up a book in the back that said something about everything I ever learned. I thought I learned at Star Trek, but I'm not going to go to that one. And uh, so we're going to go tonight into prophecy. And uh, I picked up a book and was looking through it, and I said, this is very interesting. And basically it was talking about ten prophecies that are going to happen that have not yet happened. And we're going to kind of hit on those things, and uh, and we're going to we're going to hit on them, but we're going to take some time going through them so that we can kind of understand it. You know, we as Christians have a lot to expect. There's a lot to look forward to, and uh, and I think it's important that we at least have a grasp, a little bit of a grasp on it. I remember as a young person, uh, our church had uh, they we, they they rented this film something about a thief in the night and a whole bunch of a series of films like that. Have you ever seen those, Pastor? Yeah, yeah they were cheesy, done badly. But, uh, but, but I was a young kid and I didn't know any better. And I thought, whoa, that's, that's really scary, frankly, is what scared me to death. And, uh, and I heard one time about a, a, a guy at, at campus on, on the Christian college where I went who, who slept through chapel. And he woke up halfway through chapel and nobody was in the Nobody was out on the sidewalks, and nobody was on campus, and he, w- he came out of his dorm, and nobody was in the dorm room, and, and nobody was around, and he thought, oh no, the Lord has come back, and I've been left behind, and he was terrified. It scared him to death. So w- we need to understand some of these things that, so that we know what to anticipate. You know, there's all kinds of crazy ideas out there. Hollywood's got their ideas. Uh, not long ago, there was, I, think, I think a few years back, there was a movie that kind of set the date as being uh, 2012, I think it was. It was about the Mayan calendar, and that was supposed to tell us when the end of the world was supposed to be. And then you hear people reading about these guys like Nostradamus and other crazy prophetic people. And then there's some Christians who've gotten off, off track on the idea of prophecy. So we want to have a balanced approach to it. We just want to see what does the Bible actually say. And, and go through it from there, from that perspective. So if you look on page three in your notes, you can kind of see the, uh, the list that we're going to go through as we have opportunity. Now, just so you know, next week we're having our, our uh, five-day Bible camp. And so we will not have Wednesday night service next week, okay? So not next week. But we will pick this up again a week after that. And then the week after that, we're not having it because of another five-day Bible camp. But anyway, you come, and if, you're, if, you're not, if nobody else is here, you and I will sit down and have a good time, okay? But uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a conversation or something. But anyway, let's, uh, let's uh, look at some of these things. What is it that we are expecting? You and I as believers have some things to look forward to. Page 3 talks about the rapture of the church. That's the next really big thing on God's uh, calendar. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four verse sixteen and seventeen. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the, with the trumpet of God, 
And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And that's the thing we need to be looking for. Uh, Jesus Christ coming to claim his own. Then there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. Now that's a judgment for Christians. Not for judgment and punishment, for, but for rewards. And we will talk about that when we get to that section. Then there's the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. If you don't know what that is, Jesus Christ is the groom and the church, that's you and me, every believer, uh, is, is part of that bride that will be at that great supper. And we'll talk about that in the future. The reign of Antichrist for a while. He gets over and he takes over the world and that's happening here on earth. The, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place in heaven. Uh, the rapture of the church takes, up, takes place in the air and then we all go up to heaven. But then there's the reign of Antichrist down here on earth. And uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 says, Then that lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. And we're just hitting on these things. Following the rule of the Antichrist is going to, or in, in, as the Antichrist is there, is going to be the great tribulation that's here on the earth. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. For then there would be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And that's one where everybody wants to know, you know, what the helicopters are and what the locusts are and all that stuff that you read about in the book of Revelation and they want to know every detail and, and we'll see what we touch on that and what we don't. Uh, we only want to be, we don't want to get too fanciful, but we do want to let you know what the Lord says about it in the scriptures. All right, then we have the judgment of the nations, Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 21 and 22. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence and with blood. I will enter into judgment with him and I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain uh, with hailstones, fire and brimstone. This is when Christ comes down and I, I think that's the battle of Armageddon. We'll get into that a little bit more when we get to that point. The second coming of Christ, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 uh, this is, we, we, many times people get confused between the rapture and the second coming. The rapture, he doesn't come all the way to the earth. He meets us in the clouds. But at the second coming, he actually comes to the earth to rule and to reign. Revelation 1, 7, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who, are, who pierced him and all the tribes of earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen interesting these things about everybody in the world being able to see him there was a day when that wasn't possible but now we've got these iphones and everybody's got one it seems like even in the middle of a desert i've seen homeless people with them you know so everybody's got one so they can keep track of what's going on around the world all right then you have the millennial reign of christ that's a thousand year reign where jesus christ rules with a rod of iron and we as believers rule with him here on the earth in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, And he will judge between the nations and will render decision for many people, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. I think that's interesting that part of that verse is 
inscribed in the United Nations. Uh, but the part about the Lord being in charge, uh, they, they, they kind of forgot about. But uh, it's interesting, and that's going to happen at some point. All right, and then you have the great white throne judgment. This is for unbelievers. This is a sad day, a very fearful and frightening day. That's the day when sinners fall completely into the hands of God for judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And that's the end of them. That's their eternal destiny. Then you have the eternal kingdom for believers. Revelation chapter 22, verses 4 and 5, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no longer be any night, and they will not have any need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And that's the eternal state of those of us who know the Lord. So it's really important that we kind of understand where we fit into this thing. Um, there are a lot of things on this calendar that are going to be fulfilled. Yes, sir. What? Uh, not necessarily, but they kind of some of them kind of run together, and we'll get into that when we get there. Okay. And uh, and again, this this thing about prophecy, you're going to see, it's not an exact science. It's not like mathematics, uh, because it, it's a little piece here and a little piece there, and you kind of got to fit it together, and the Holy Spirit's got to kind of guide you, and. And I do a lot of studying to figure out where things fit and get, get some advice from the, from the resources that I have available to try to help piece these things together. Um, but basically, you know, there's all kinds of things you could go into in prophecy. You could go into the 70 weeks of Daniel. We're not going to do that. You could go into a lot of the old prophets. And we're going to touch just a little bit about that tonight. But basically what we're looking for is what do believers have to look forward to? I want you to be expecting I want you to be anticipating the Lord's return. I want you to be excited about the Lord's return. I want you to be ready for the Lord's return. That's the whole purpose of the whole series, is to know there's good things coming. You know, how many of you are anticipating the 4th of July picnic and couldn't wait to get to it? I know a lot of people were. We had a good time. We really did. Let's do it again, you know, but let's sleep first. But, um, but we had a good time. It was a lot of fun. It really was. I had a great time. I didn't really want to play softball, but once I got out there, it was kind of fun, especially when I got to tackle Alex at first base. That was great. But uh, we, had a, we had a good time, and we played and, and enjoyed that, and it gives us something to look forward to for the next time. Well, that's what I want us to do. I want us to have that kind of anticipation for the Lord's return. We should be excited about this. We should be, in, it, be looking forward to this, okay? Um, uh, This is not speculation, this is not Nostradamus, this is not Hollywood, this is not some fictional thing. These are right out of the scriptures. And again, uh, God hasn't told us all the intimate details, but he's given us enough to know that something's coming. It's kind of nice to know that there's some secrets out there that we don't know yet. Don't you like surprises? I don't know how this is all going to fit together, exactly. But it is nice to know that there's surprises, surprises coming. Again, like I said, it's like putting pieces together, putting a puzzle together. How many of you like to put puzzles together? You ever done that? Huh? What's the first thing you do? First thing you do is you look at the box. What's this thing supposed to look like, right? And then you get all the outside edges. You, get the, you find those corners and you put that in and then you try to fit them in, put them in together. 
Well, this is like putting the puzzle together. Prophecy is like putting a puzzle together and you never get to see the picture on the front. You don't know what it's going to look like. That's, that's a little bit hard, isn't it? That would be make it much more of a challenge, right? But we do have enough to know that if we keep working at it, we can understand more about it. We may not know it all, and we really shouldn't know it all. Some of this stuff is God's business, right? But let's, let's know what we can know. Uh, that little blue box on page four, Jesus had something to say about the study of prophecy. We're to do our best to understand it as he wants us to, what, and then what he wants us to know. And then we leave the details and the timing up to God. Let's look at some scripture. Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. It says there, now learn the parable. This is Jesus. Remember that's red ink on that page there. And that's not more inspired than anything else. But it, is, so it does identify the exact words of Jesus. Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. You know, you can tell by looking at a tree whether, what season it is, right? Especially if you live in New England and the leaves start falling off. You know, uh-oh, it's going to snow. It's, tr- it's coming, right? So you look at, you, you can discern some things by looking at signs. And that's what we do prophetically. Verse 33 says, so you too, when you see all these things, some of the things that Jesus has just been talking about here in Matthew chapter 24 in preparation for the second coming. Uh, you know that, uh, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Verse 36, though, goes on. Jesus says, you can study it out and you can try to figure it out. And my goodness, people are always trying to figure this out. We, we've just come off of coronavirus. The, the market's doing up and down a little bit. People are buying this thing called Bitcoin that they've never heard of before. And it's going all over the place, doing crazy things. And, 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 and we have the ability to communicate. Daniel, the book of Daniel, talks about people being able to travel all around the world. And man, they're doing that like crazy on these airplanes and, and boats and trains and cars. Uh, and all these things that we do today that is so different than what they did back in these days. So there's a lot of signs that would indicate that we're probably getting close to the Lord coming back. Verse 36 says, though, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. A few years ago, I heard a guy get up and say, Jesus is coming back on this date. And I said, well, that's the date he's sure not coming back. (laughs) That's exactly what I said. I said, there's no way he's coming back on that day. And uh, because nobody's supposed to know that, right? Jesus compared the reality of the prophecies concerning his return to the, full, to the fulfilled prophecy concerning the impending flood of Noah's day. Remember, God told Noah, build that ark. It's going gonna, it's gonna to flood. The world is going to flood and everybody's going to die who's not in that ark. And how many years did he write at work on that ark? Anybody remember? Huh? I was like 600 years or something like that. I don't know how long. What, I don't know how long. Huh? 120 years, something like that. I knew it was a long time. It was longer than I could remember doing anything. I've never even walked that many years. Pastor maybe, but not me. But um, the, the 120 years he built that ark, and everybody's going, it's going to flood, but when? But when? Is it today? Is it today? I hope it finished the boat first. And then it came. And nobody was expecting it, right? 
For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Noah's pe- the people in Noah's day, including Noah, didn't know when the flood was coming. But God told them to get in, and God shut the door, and then everybody knew it was coming. That's the way it's going to be when it comes to this second coming of the Lord and the rapture and all these other things that are coming. We're not going to know when it comes. But when it's here, there's going to be no question about what happened. Absolutely no question. We're going to have absolutely no doubt. So we're not into date setting. How many of you remember Harold Camping and all of that? Yeah, bless his heart. That guy, I think he meant well. I think he loved the Lord. I think he really wanted to do right. But he made a big mistake, twice at least, right? And we don't want to have to go through that. I was driving up to the Oakland airport the other day, and I remember the sign that hung on the side of the Oakland airport proclaiming the day and, and knowing it's not going to happen that day. I knew that. Because Jesus said we wouldn't know the day. So, so the purpose of the study is not to set dates, The purpose of the study is not necessarily to understand all the exact orders and how it's all going to come together, but just to get an idea of what we can know. And what we can know is going to happen. It's going to happen just as sure as the flood happened. It's going to happen just as sure as some of the other prophecies that happened in the the scripture. All right? Christians are promised an eternity in the presence of the Lord. This is where our eternity is going. This is what we have to anticipate. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, it says, While we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I think most of us forget the fact that we are not destined for this world. I wanted to sing, I couldn't find it in the book. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And the rest of that song. Because that's the way it is. We don't belong here. We really don't. We're just here for a while. We're like jars of clay that somebody dumped water in. And it's in there for a while. But if the clay breaks or the tip, it tips over, the water slips out. That's what happens when we die. We're in this body temporarily. It's a clay pot that holds our soul. But we are the soul. We're not the body. We are a soul that will live forever someplace. Not a body that happens to have a soul. We just happen to have a body right now. God's got another one for us when we leave this one. It's something to consider. It helps us to think about eternity And I think it helps us to keep our priorities where they need to be. If all your focus is on what you eat and drink and sleep and and, and own and what you can grasp in your hands, your priorities are all messed up. Everything you have is a tool to be used for eternal consequences. All right? 
I had a very wealthy man. I had a Rolls Royce. Uh, he, he would come around, and I told him one time, I said, Ray, I said, your Rolls Royce is either a tool or it's an anchor. And he looked at me and he said, what? It's a tool to be used for the Lord or it's an anchor that will keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Don't hang on to that thing just because you want it. If you can find a way to use it, use it. Otherwise, find something else that's useful for the kingdom of God because that's what really matters. Right? Okay, so we are only here in this body for a while. And Christians, when we leave here, we fly away to the presence of the Lord. You close your eyes on death, you open them up in the presence of the Lord. Wonderful thing. But, for the unbelievers, it's a completely different story. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, or your friends or your family members don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, you need to have an urgency about you of sharing the gospel with them because just as sure as you're going to open your eyes in heaven as a believer, they're going to open their eyes in hell as an unbeliever. And that's eternity. That's forever. Someone described forever as being like a big chunk of granite rock. Huge, big as this building. And a sparrow comes by and touches it with his feather and a little bit pops off. And he does that for a million years and then a little bit more pops off. And he does that for another million years and a little bit, and he never wears it out. That's eternity. It never ends. It will never stop. It goes on and on and on. Like a math lesson in grammar school. So this is the idea here. We have to be thinking about eternity. Unbelievers are warned of an eternity that is separated from the presence of the Lord forever. Luke chapter 16, you've read about the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus dying and going to Abraham's bosom. In verse 22, it says, The rich man also died in Luke chapter 16 and was buried, and in Hades, or hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And that was eternity for the rich man. Wow. So, this is why we study prophecy, because we, it helps us to remember we're only here for a while. we got something more to look forward to. And those who don't know the Lord have something great to dread. And we want to help them escape that. Okay? I like what C.S. Lewis says here, and you can read that quote. Basically, what he is saying is, you never met anybody who wasn't important or wasn't destined for eternity. Everybody you know is an immortal it's just where are they going to spend that immortal life that they have. They're either going to spend it in unimaginable, undescribable, incomprehensible glory with the Lord, or unimaginable, indescribable, incomprehensible terror in a place called hell away from the Lord. So we're on a mission to prepare ourselves and to prepare everyone we know for eternity. Everything else we do is really not near as important as we think it is. This is our mission. So, the study of prophecy, you need to understand it. This is not science fiction. This is not, this is not something that you can speculate about or guess about. or It's not a hope-so thing. It's, it's in Scripture, and it is true. 
I like what Bob Shelton in one of the books that I was reading, he wrote. He said, prophecy is really only pre-written history. It's been done. It's been written. It just hasn't happened yet. It's, that's, that's the way it is. Erwin Lucer says, all true prophecies eventually become true history. All right? So if, it, if, if somebody says something, in the Old Testament talks about a, a, a dreamer of dreams who says a certain thing is going to happen in a battle on such and such a day, and it doesn't happen. In the Old Testament, they were supposed to take that guy out and stone him to death because he's a liar and he's not telling you the truth. But when the scripture says something's going to happen, it does happen over and over again. There's scripture in the Old Testament you can read where God said this king is going to die. And sure enough, he dies. The king tries to hide, the king tries to avoid it, and he can't avoid it. It's going to happen. The scripture talks about certain cities being knocked down. I was reading the other day about, the, about Tyre being completely wiped out. It was a beautiful city and God said it's going to get wiped out. And it's, it's a place where they hang fishing nets today to dry. It's what happens. All these prophecies happen if they're in the scriptures. And it is absolutely true. Now, there are some examples of prophecy that we see in the scriptures. And the bottom of page 5, you see there's a prophecy that was given in Genesis chapter 15 to Abraham. And that was that the children of Israel were going to be sent into Egypt for four, and, and oppressed for 400 years. This was a long time before it actually happened. God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, 13 to 14, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. And if you read in Exodus chapter 12, that's exactly what happened. After the ten plagues, Pharaoh's son dies. Pharaoh says, get out of here. Let, Moses has been saying, let my people go. And God got Pharaoh's attention and eventually they were set free. And Exodus chapter 12 says that the children of Israel plundered the Egyptians. The people there gave them all this gold and all these, these special precious things that they had before they left. They were just glad to let them go. And they did go out 400 and I think it was 430 years later. 430 years. So maybe 30 years were good years before they went into oppression. 30, maybe just that they were rounding up the years. It's, uh, but, but that prophecy was fulfilled. That was an Old Testament prophecy that was made in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the Old Testament. Then there are prophecies that were given in the Old Testament which were then fulfilled in the New Testament. At Christmas time, we all remember Isaiah 7:14. The Lord Himself will give Himself a sign, or give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And then you know that Mary, the Virgin Mary, uh, became with child by the Holy Spirit, and that Joseph said he did not go in unto her until after she'd had her firstborn son. So Jesus was born of a virgin according to an Old Testament prophecy that was fulfilled in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1 and, uh, and, and other places that we can see that. So there are some prophecies that were Old Testament fulfilled in the Old Testament. Some prophecies given in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. Some prophecies were given and also fulfilled in the New Testament. New Testament prophecy, New Testament fulfillment. 
Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. Jesus said to the disciples, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. I still am always baffled about how the disciples missed that. I mean, it was just a few days, and it was still such a shock to them that Jesus actually went to the cross. And they all ran away and deserted him. You know, it's just, I, it's, it just baffles me. They were blind to the truth until it happened, and then they understood it. That's the way we are a lot of times with prophecy. Eh, is it really going to? Ah, it's not going to happen. But then it happens. It's like, oh, God meant that, didn't he? And every prophecy he said has been fulfilled that he wants fulfilled so far. And the other ones will be fulfilled in his perfect timing. Acts chapter 10, verse 39, we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and the Jerusalem, and they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day. Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. New Testament prophecy fulfilled in the New Testament. There are some prophecies that have a double fulfillment, part of, partially fulfilled already, some that have not, that, and, and other part of it has not been fulfilled yet. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 is one of those. And there are others. But this is one that kind of stuck out in my study and easy for you to comprehend. Uh, Rejoice greatly in Zechariah 9, 9, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And you're going, eh, not all that took place yet. Right? But we also know that part of it has been fulfilled. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. You've read about it. You, see, you, you, you hear about it almost every Palm Sunday. Where they went, Jesus in Matthew chapter 21 told the disciples, go get that colt. Well, what are we going to tell them when we get that colt? Go tell them that the master has need of him. And they get the colt, they bring it to Jesus, Jesus gets on it, they ride it through the streets of Jerusalem, Jesus rides it through the streets of Jerusalem, and everybody's going, Hosanna. Hosanna, the Messiah is here. Right? A fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. The next verse is all tied in with that, but it's not been fulfilled yet. Zechariah verse nine, 9, chapter 9 and verse 10 talks about him ruling over the whole world. Jesus didn't do that then, did he? He went from the colt a week later to the cross, didn't he? Big difference. So the second fulfillment of Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 is coming in a future date during Christ's millennial kingdom. I couldn't find a picture of anybody beating a sword into, into plowshares, but there was a picture, there's a picture of a soldier using a sword like a plow, right? Pretty close to the same idea. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. Now it shall come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up into the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways and we may walk in his paths for the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation. Never again will they learn war. Micah says pretty much the same thing. 
And that is a prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled just as sure as Jesus went to the cross, just as sure as some of the other prophecies that we've already read about. And there are lots and lots of them. I've got one book. It's that thick. It's called The Bible Prophecy Handbook. And I haven't read it, but I'm going to dig through that and learn some things. And it tells me there's a whole lot out there to learn about what God has done and what he will do. There are some prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, like the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, the great tribulation, the antichrist, all those things that we hear about. And just as sure as you're sitting in the chair you're sitting in, it's going to happen. And we need to be anticipating those things and looking for those things because we don't know when it's going to happen. Isaiah 55 verse 11 is a prophecy, is a promise in the scriptures. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I think you've heard there used to be a song called God Said It. I believe it. That settles it for me. You can skip that middle part. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to be settled. Because if God said it, it's going to happen. So, verse page 8 in the notes here. Why? Just as the prophecies of Noah's flood, the virgin birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and other prophecies have been fulfilled in the past, so will the other promises, promises of God and prophecy be fulfilled. Prophecy is indeed pre-written history. So why do we study this? Number one, reason. Jesus said do it. Jesus said to study it. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 to 42, you must also be ready. How can you be ready if you don't know what's going to happen, right? How can you be ready if you don't know what you're looking for? Be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Matthew 25, 13, be on the alert for you do not know the day nor the hour. Be ready. Luke 21, 34 to 36, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and the day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So we need to be on the alert, ready to go when the Lord Jesus comes back. I remember when we were kids, we lived out in the country. We had a yard that was pretty good size. And we had a garden that was way too big. We spent way too much time. Most, I wanted to plant corn. Mom always planted, I think it was four acres of green beans. And we always had to crawl around on our hands and knees and pick green beans. And then we would pick them and then we would snap them and then we would top them. And then she would can them and then she'd take them out and burn them because she liked them that way. I never understood that. But she would give us these tasks and say, I want you to go out in the yard and get the grass cut. And I want you to do this. I have to run into town. I'll be back when I get back. And it better be done before I get back or you're going to get what for. How many of you had a mother that did stuff like that to you? Yeah, mine did. And, uh, and so, so she would get in that car and we'd watch off and she'd go off into the horizon and that car would disappear and the baseball gloves would come out or the basketball would come out and we would have a blast until mama came home. And when we saw that car coming about a mile down the road, we'd see, see that coming and we'd go, uh-oh. And man, did we start mowing. And man, did we start picking beans. And man, did we start, yes. Right? 
That's the way it's going to be. The Lord's told us to be busy about his work. Hasn't he? Hasn't he? Be busy. Be ready. Be watching. He's going to catch you at a ball glove. Instead of doing what he wants you to do. So we need to be on guard. Because Jesus told us to be ready for his coming. Another reason to study is to gain a better understanding of our personal and eternal future. You know, we've moved a few times in our life. I remember when we, when we were coming to San Francisco, I was going, what is this thing? And we, we, we found every picture we could find and everything we could find online and all this stuff, try to figure it out. We still didn't understand it completely, but we, at least we had an idea because we wanted to know what we were getting into, right? And that's the way it is. We're going into eternity. Do you know what's going to happen when you get there? Do you know, are you ready to go? Do you want to go? I think, I think if you know how wonderful it is, you're going to want to go. So it's really important that you understand it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing what's up there. We think we got it good here. It's nothing. Nothing. I don't care if you can afford to shop at at Nordstrom's. It's nothing compared to what you're going to have up there. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Or like a thief, which in the heavens will pass away, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things that we work so hard for are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will, be melt, will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Tonight as we were going to dinner, we were talking about how much crime is going on around us. And how Walgreens are closing down and how they're having to shut, cut their hours back on Target because of the, the thieving that's going on and the shoplifting and the, and the crime that's happening. I want it be wonderful to live in a place where there's none of that. Oh, what a wonderful thing we have to look forward to. And yet we want to hang on to what we have here and we forget to get ready for the, what's up there. Number three. What another reason that we study prophecy? To remind us to live pure lives that are unashamed when he comes. I talked to you a little bit about mom coming home and catching us playing ball. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope. And the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Who gave himself to us. To redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. We are to be pure people waiting for the Lord. First John chapter 2 verse 28. My little children abide in him. 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of him. That's what we should be living like. Ways to please the Lord, not see what we can get away with down here. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. We want to be like the Lord, so we'll be at home with him. You know, there are people that don't want to come to our church. And the reason they do that is because they feel uncomfortable here because we're trying to do right and they're trying to do wrong. Right? Who would want to go to heaven if all you want to do is wrong? If all you wanted to do is go do wrong things? We need to be working ourselves and preparing ourselves for a place that's going to be perfect and pure and righteous and just and all the things that are right. And get in line with that program that God has for us. Number four, to recognize the urgency of sharing the gospel while there is time. Again, we just read how the Lord's going to come like a thief. Nobody's going to be warned about it. It's going to happen. Boom. Like water coming down in Noah's day from the sky that they'd never seen before. That's the way it's going to be. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, You turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. You and I have been rescued from the wrath to come because we've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. It's a done deal. We're going with Him. We're going to meet Him in the air. We're going to live with Him for all of eternity, if you know the Lord is Savior. But think about the people you know, the people that you say you love, the people that you say you care about who haven't heard about the Lord and what's going to happen to them. They're going to face the wrath that you and I have been rescued from. We need to help them come over to our side, to the Lord's side. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-3, through 3, and working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, at the acceptable time, I will listen to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If they don't accept Jesus Christ now in this life, there's no hope for them in the next one. So this is the day when we've got to be busy about getting the gospel to people. Because the Lord is coming back. And we don't know when. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. That lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they... All may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Some people say, well, you know, I told them about the gospel. Maybe after the Lord comes, they'll accept Christ. No. No, if they've heard the gospel, there's going to be a delusion sent to them. They're going to be, they're going to be so confused. And whatever the Antichrist comes up with is going to convince them 
Whatever the media says they're going to believe. Whatever the politicians say they're going to believe. Whatever all, all of this stuff that people are going to go like, like lemmings off the cliff believing whatever he says. And it's going to be too late for them. So, while it's day, while we're here, while they have opportunity, let's be busy sharing the gospel with them. And we need to ultimately be falling in love with the Lord and our Savior and our eternal home because we know this is coming. The Apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, wrote to Timothy. And he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but, to, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Are you going to get that crown of righteousness? Are you loving and looking forward to the coming of the Lord? Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on these next couple of pages. I just want to hit them very quickly. There are some views about the Lord coming back. And I've kind of threw a little chart up here. I don't know if you can see it. I don't know if I can get it online or not, but I'm going to try. I don't know if that will show up in the camera. This is just very, 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 very basic, okay? We have eternity past. This is before everything was created and all these things. That's all happened. The Old Testament, all those things, Adam and Eve and everything all the way up to the the cross. This is the centerpiece of all of history. This is what everything depends upon. What you do with this matters. What you do with Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross is really going to matter. Now the next thing that's happening is the rapture. And that is the Lord coming down in the clouds to meet us in the air. And the dead in Christ will rise first and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to be with the Lord in the air. Second Thessalonians I think talks about that. And then there's going to be a tribulation period. Seven years, the Antichrist, all these horrible things. And then the second coming. Then a millennial reign, several things, and then we're going to step into eternity future. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We don't know all the details. We're going to fill in some of these things a little bit along the way, but we don't know for sure. Some of this we just kind of have to guess about. But we do know if it's in the Bible, it's going to happen. We have, there are several views about this Lord, the Lord coming back. There's a pre-tribulational view, which means basically he's going to come back before the tribulation. This is what we're demonstrating up here. And then it's basically the Lord's return is two places. First there's the rapture, and then there's the second coming. Okay. Then there is the pre-wrath view, which is that the Lord's going to come back in the middle of the tribulation period. So Christians are going to have to suffer three and a half years and then the Lord's going to come back and then he's going to bring judgment on the world until his second coming. There's that view. And then there's the post-tribulation view. It means that everybody's going to have to go all the way through the tribulation period and then the Lord's going to come back and there's not going to be any rapture. All right? Those are all things that people, good people, believe. Okay? We, we, we believe the pre-tribulational view. Okay, we'll talk about that a little bit more. There's a millennial view. Pre, on page 11, there's a, a pre-millennial view. That the second coming comes before the millennium. 
Then there is an amillennial view, which says there is going to be no millennium, and the millennium actually takes place either in heaven or it's the church here on earth. And then the Lord comes back. That's a view that's out there. But the perspective of our studies on the bottom of page 11 there, basically we are pre-tribulation, pre-millennial. We believe that Israel is not the church. There are special unique promises for Israel that are not for the church. And we're going to get into some of those things. Not every little gnat and every detail, but we'll give you enough to understand what God has promised is coming. The bottom line is this. Revelation 22, verse 20, on the bottom of page 11 in your notes. He who testifies to these things, that's the Lord Jesus, says, Yes, I am coming quickly. And our response should be the same as the Apostle John's was. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. King James, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Right? So we need to be looking for this thing, anticipating it, living lives that please the Lord and preparing ourselves for this wonderful heavenly place and doing everything we can to take everyone we know with us, right? Pastor, are you coming up? Okay. Let's pray as Pastor comes up. Father, we thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you for the promises that have already been fulfilled. We are amazed by how you have kept your word. And we, by faith, believe that you will continue to do so. We anticipate your coming with great excitement. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Prophecy is an area of Bible study that can be of immense, enormous help and challenge and blessing, or it can lead you out in the woods theologically. The problem with most books on prophecy is they're 90% speculation and 10% biblical study. So God has not given us his word to answer all of our questions and all of our curiosities. There are some things that are very clear. There are some things that are not clear. And what you've had presented here tonight is very balanced, very well presented. And I appreciate so much the fact that we're not trying to answer all the questions we are. We do know some things with absolute certainty. Jesus Christ is coming again. Yes or no? No doubt about that. He's coming for his church. And everybody in the New Testament was waiting not for the Antichrist. They were waiting for the return of Christ. We know that. That's very obvious and very clear. As you go through this, the, the, another thing that will be of tremendous blessing is God is totally in charge of all human history, past, present, and future. History is not an accident. It's not outside of God's purview and God's control. Okay? So God is in charge of this stuff, and we belong to the God that's in charge of it. And he loves us. We know the final outcome. We don't know all the details about getting there. But this should encourage our hearts to know that God is in charge of history. History is the work of God. Uh, remember that God invented time and space. 
<laughs> That's a part of God's invention in creation. Time and space. Well, time has to do with prophecy. Time and space. So, a uh, good study, well presented, and we're not looking for all of the answers, and if somebody has all the answers, I'd close the book and go on to somewhere, somewhere else. Uh, I'm serious about that. Uh, we want to figure out as much as we can. We want to know what the general outline is. I will say one more thing, and I'm sure Pastor Pelletier will deal with this. Where, where you end up on the outline of prophecy depends on your approach to reading the Bible. If you read the Bible from the historic, literal, narrative standpoint, you take it for what it says, literally, uh, you, you come to one conclusion. If you allegorize everything and make it say whatever you think it might say, then you come to a lot of other conclusions. And that's where the amillennial and a lot of these other viewpoints come in, where they allegorize instead of take literally the scriptures, they make an allegory of it, and, and, and uh, that, that warps the meaning of a lot of things as you go through. So our approach to scripture, the reason we end up where we are on some of these matters of interpretation on prophecy have to do with how we view the Bible. God's book is a wonderful, wonderful book. The Bible is a wonderful book. So may the Lord encourage our hearts. The Lord may come tonight. And I got to thinking about this. <clears throat> we don't know. How long did it take Jesus to show up the first time? How many, how many years of human history went, went by before Jesus came the first time? You guys get that figured out yet? Huh? Probably around 4,000, Usher says 4,000 years B.C. So it took the Messiah and promise, was promised in Genesis 3.15 uh, to, to, to Eve. Uh, it took 4,000 years for him to come. But during those 4,000 years, they were always wondering, when is he coming? And 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 is he going to come? Okay. That's 4,000 years of human history. That's a long, that's a long time to wait. That's why Peter said 1,000 years is with the Lord is one day and one day is a thousand. Time, God's not in a hurry. He doesn't have to worry about that. So he wants, he wants us to live. And Dr. Bob Jones had it right. You, you, you plan like Jesus is not coming for 100 years. But you live like he's coming today. So we don't know. We just don't know. Some of these things he doesn't want us to know. Okay? But he wants us to be sure that he's coming. May the Lord bless you. Thanks.